Now, could we turn in the Bible to the book of Ephesians in chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6. Page 1162 in the Church Bibles. Okay, well, that's chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Bond servants, and uh, you'll see the note down the bottom. Uh, it says it's doulos, uh, the Greek word, which basically means slave. It could mean someone who um, uh, was a temporary person sold into slavery or had a, a limited commitment, a bond servant, but generally uh, it refers to slaves that simply are a property uh, of uh, someone else can't pay off their debt um, at all, um, and uh, that's generally what it means. So, bond servants or slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering servant service with a good will. As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now let's uh, pray and ask the Lord's help as we look into the word. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you have given instruction in your word for all areas of our life. And this includes, Lord, our our work lives and uh, above all, Lord, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our discipleship. And we pray, Lord, that uh, Lord, uh, uh, tonight and also next week as we look into this passage, Lord, you will uh, encourage us and uh, inspire us in both our work life and in our relationship uh, with the Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray that you will uh, show us uh, great and wonderful things uh, in your word about the Lord and uh, our relationship to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're coming towards the end of the letter of, uh, of Paul to the Ephesians over this kind of series that's stretched out. Um, and basically... We now deal with uh, a certain fraction of society, of Roman society, um, which Paul mentions quite often in his letters. The bond servants, the slaves. Uh, He's already talked about to wives and husbands, and he's talked to children, and now he he talks to bond, bond, bond servants or slaves, and also to slave owners, the masters. Now, what kind of fraction was it of the congregation? It's reckoned uh, by historians that, and and they they can't give a precise figure, but between 10 to 20% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Now, in fact, in the Christian congregation, it would have been a higher fraction than that because we're told all over the place that um, uh, the, the, the Christians were not, generally speaking, men of influence and men of money, uh, women of, of influence. There were some, 
that were converted and there were some attached to the congregation, but on the whole, they were from the poorer classes. And therefore, we've got every reason to believe that, in fact, um, from the, the New Testament alone, that there, there would have been a much higher proportion than 20% of congregations that were, were slaves. Um, and uh, we also know, of course, from the Roman writers themselves that they thought, to begin with at least, that Christianity was mainly a religion for, indeed, the slaves and the poor. So Paul is writing to a significant number of the congregation when, it, when talking about slaves. And what I propose to do over the next two weeks is actually to, to look at um, the slave-master relationship and uh, unpack its meaning for uh, people in those day, days and also then to, to look what it infers, what it implies for our own uh, lives. Now, I'll be mainly doing that next week. I want to actually look... Uh, 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 this evening at what I think is really the central, the central uh, relationship between master and slave, which is between Christ and his people. Uh, you'll see that um, it says that uh, in verse uh, 6, I'll read it again, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So Paul lays it down as a foundational principle, get your slavery right. <laughs> your prime relationship of slavery, the bondservant, is to Christ. And then he says something which would be quite shocking uh, to a non-Christian Roman, but even, even a Christian uh, Ephesian, uh, in this case, might have found a bit shocking. It says, um, to the masters, masters do the same to them, Stop your threatening, knowing that he was both their master and yours. <laughs> the masters had a master in heaven. The masters, the slave owners, indeed actually had the Lord Jesus Christ, who, whom, of whom they were his slaves. So I think I'm going to talk about that tonight anyway, because funnily, funnily enough, I think as you go through the New Testament, you find that time after time, both Jesus and the other apostles refer to the relationship of the disciple as being a slave. A, the believer as being uh, a bondservant. But wonderful, with, wonderful, uh, with a wonderful blessing uh, that takes them far beyond just being a slave, which we'll talk about in a bit. But firstly, let, let's note, today we're horrified at the idea of slavery. And I want to uh, clear this up to begin with. The Bible makes it clear that the idea of human slavery to another man is an idea created by sinful men. Murder first arose in the heart of Cain. That was something that was produced by sin, the sinful heart. People, some people say slavery is found in the Bible. Indeed, uh, many mis, you know, misinformed and ignorant Christians in the 19th century in America uh, were justifying slavery, and in, and in fact, uh, many many um, Christians signed up in the Confederate Army to defend slavery because they said, "Well, slavery is sponsored by God because He gives rules for the keeping of slaves in the in the Book of Leviticus and other parts." Well, the law given by Moses 
uh, was uh, given in many cases to limit the damage of contemporary practices. So, for instance, uh, the the laws about divorce that Moses put forward was to limit the damage caused by family breakups. It wasn't to sponsor adultery and it wasn't actually meant to sponsor divorce. Jesus tells us that uh, the law of Moses was given because of the hardness of men's hearts. And God had to work with societies and people that were, were used to very low standards of human relationships and therefore divorce was allowed. But Jesus said from the beginning it was not so. And that of course is the principle that relates to divorce too. The laws in the Old Testament regulating divorce, uh, regulating slavery, um, were given uh, to, uh, to, to, if if you like, diminish the the suffering caused by slavery. And we'll look in uh, in a bit more detail at that next week. But actually in the New Testament, enslaving people, we're quite specifically told, is considered to be classed with being an an abuser, I mean a, a violent abuser of aged parents, Sexual immorality and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Would you like to look at 1 Timothy 1 verse 9 for a second? 1 Timothy 1 verse 9. And you'll see that uh, Paul uh, puts uh, uh, those who are are enslavers. um, He says this. He puts them in this category. In fact, we'll start off in verse 8. Now we know that the law is, this is on page uh, 1177. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The New Testament is quite clear. Slavery is a barbaric, brutal, and, and, and uh, uh, practice that defies um, and dishonors the image of God in man. Revelations, the book of Revelation describes uh, what slavery is. In, I, you needn't look this up. Revelations 18, verse, uh, verse uh, 11 says this. This is talking about the end of the world, or at least uh, an apocalyptic event. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. And there's a long list of cargo. Gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, ivory, bronze, iron, and marble. And then it carries on in verse 13, a long list Wheat, cattle, sheep, horses and chariots and slaves. That is human souls. And quite clearly, the buying and selling of human souls actually was never meant to be in God's purposes. And actually, as you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, it supplies us with all the necessary knowledge to understand the whole system was barbaric and wrong and it was indulged in by on every continent that uh, that we know that human beings were on, whether it be in China or Africa, or whether it be in uh, in the Middle East, whether it be in South America amongst the Aztecs and so on. 
It was an age-old sin. And actually, I, I would even relate it to the very temptation of Adam. Satan said to Adam, uh, well, through Eve, uh, put the, the, the temptation was passed on through Eve, that if you ate of this fruit, you'd be like God. Now, actually, the only one who has to have the absolute devotion and service of a human being is God himself. We'll look at that in a bit more detail in a second. The only person who's to have that absolute devotion, the power of life and death over a, of a man or a woman, to have their all, that only person is meant to be God himself. Paul makes it clear that the human master-slave relation is a passing temper was a passing temporary thing, based in human selfishness, human callousness, and indeed theft. So many of the laws of God were were broken in the actual in the actual enslaving of people. Um, but actually, the human side of slavery is is obnoxious. But there's a wonderful relationship between God and man, a slavery there that is wonderful. Knowing that he who is both their masters is yours and yours is in heaven. And in, in our relationship with God as his slaves, we are all truly equal. Uh, long before the Declaration of Independence stated that all men are created equal, of course the Bible repeats it many, many times. In the New Testament, Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3.11, um, Paul says something similar. Here, in the gospel, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Oh, you know... How the Confederate armies could die for an illusion that somehow uh, what, uh, the, the, the maintenance of slavery and segregation and, and keeping black people out of, uh, out of, um, out of uh, churches in some cases, out of uh, certainly in South Africa where the apartheid re refused to allow uh, blacks and whites to share uh, worship together, how ridiculous that view is. Christ is all and is in all, whatever our race, whatever our background, whether we're a slave or free. We're all part of one body and drink the same, of the same spirit. In, in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves and free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Now those three statements of Paul ring the death knell for slavery. They're written solidly in the New Testament. And any, any believer who took them seriously must immediately have seen the, 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 the glaring contrast between the reality of Christian fellowship of human beings equal before God and society's evil. But I want us to notice this. I want us to notice this. The, the, the negative, if you like, the negative uh, part of what I've just said is that slavery is clearly something uh, that needed to be removed. It needed to be abolished. But the relationship, the wonderful slavery 
being a bond servant of Christ is something that we as Christians need to understand and understand how important it is in terms of our relationship with God. Now, I said earlier, and I'll repeat these words, the only one who is to have the absolute devotion and service of a human being, the complete dedication, is God himself. He created you and me for that absolute devotion to him. I would suggest to you, what else does this mean? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, a human slave, to his human master, may have to give, because of the whip, his soul and strength to the task given him. But the whip never, never uh, conquered the heart and the mind. But we, as believers, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. That is your destiny. And how wonderful a destiny it is. Uh, to the world, to talk about being a slave of God is something they would find harsh, forbidding, terrible, uh, depressing. But no, not at all. As uh, the uh, Church of England prayer book says in one of its prayers, his service is perfect freedom. And indeed, when our hearts are filled with that love and devotion to the Lord, we have the peace and the joy and the love in abundance that Christ wants as we walk in the Spirit. Anyway, there's something much worse, worse than being even a slave of men, and that's being a slave of sin. And the people that object to, oh, being a slave of, of Christ, that must be, that, oh, that sounds terrible. Well, actually, they're already slaves of sin. But how marvelous it is that those who are slaves of sin, Jesus, Jesus said, who commit sin is a slave of sin. Paul talks in Ephesians about uh, the people of the world being under the control of the, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In Hebrews it talks about uh, people who all their life are in bondage to the fear of death. The devil has them under, under his control. The one who has the power of death seems to have them under their control. But how wonderful it is that in Christ's death was the death of death and the death of the fear of death and indeed the doom to the devil. You see, the Bible tells us this, that any love, devotion, kindness, service, strength, sweat and pain that we may give to the Lord is a tiny, tiny fraction of what he has already given to us in such love. What does the Bible say? Now let's actually look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Uh, 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 verses we all know, I think, pretty well. But actually in the, in, in the light of uh, this subject of slavery, I, I think... Uh, it may come to us with a slightly different, a slightly different view. So, if we look at Philippians chapter two and verse six on page one one six five in the in the Church Bible, Philippians chapter two verse six, it says this. Uh, we'll start at verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to. He's prepared to let go 
of all of his, uh, his status as the, as the wonderful and majestic son of God in heaven. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, the obedience of a slave, by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, the story is plain, isn't it? Jesus became a poor carpenter in an enslaved nation. Now, it's true that the, the, the children of Israel weren't actually anywhere near as bad as it was in Egypt, um, but they were being taxed by the Romans. They, had, they didn't have their full civil rights or, uh, and so on. They, they, they certainly were under the heel of an aggressive, an aggressive empire. And Jesus lived the life of a poor carpenter in, uh, for 30 years. But then, for three years, he enslaved himself for us. Jesus, we know from, we, we read the Gospels, we see Jesus working tirelessly. Up late at night, up early in the morning, day after day, sometimes falling asleep because he was so tired. He enslaved himself, working tirelessly as the servant the slave of suffering humanity. When it says he took the, the form of a, a slave, you know, he, he took the form and he took the function of a slave. For those three years, he, he loved his people. And then he died the death of a slave. The crucifixion was reserved for slaves, uh, especially um, Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. Uh, free men couldn't be crucified. They'd be executed by, by uh, beheading and so on. But crucifixion was specifically reserved for slaves and, and others and enemies of Rome. And the Lord Jesus did this for us. Now, there may be someone online that perhaps hasn't yet actually come to Christ. And it may be that you, you've been, you've been uh, thinking about these things you've come to believe in God and you've started to read the Bible and you've started to believe yeah Jesus really was the son of God and he did rise from the dead and in some sense he died for sinners well I want to just put it to you if you're if you're sitting there listening at home or perhaps someone in the church that the Lord Jesus Christ enslaved himself for you so that you could be free if the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. That's what Jesus said. Any man who commits sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And this evening, if you come and call out to Jesus and ask him to free you from your sins, forgive your sins, free you from the power of sins, whatever that, those, that, those sins are, he, you will be free indeed. And he will give you eternal life and new life uh, in the, world, in the world today. Now, I've said, I've said already that the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, showed this amazing love devotion that indeed we as his followers, his disciples, are meant to mirror. Now, the, the, the word groups that have to do with slavery and service, servitude, is used... Very, very, uh, on, on numerous occasions in the New Testament, as an explanation of the Christian life. 
mentioned already that, in fact, um, those who are without Christ are in slavery to sin. And although I'm not going to look at this passage, I have referred to it in the past, in the passage Romans 6 to 8, Paul goes into a lot of detail to talk about those Christians who actually are still uh, walking uh, in uh, the way of the world. They're walking according to the flesh rather than walking according to, to the spirit. And he talks about us offering ourselves be in obedience as obedient slaves to God. And he tells us, of course, in those passages that that's the way of peace. That's the way of, and by implicitly, the way of peace is the way of, of uh, contentment and it's the way of satisfaction. He explains in detail how those who've been reduced to slaves of sin and lusts are wonderfully and marvelously made slaves of God, voluntarily submitting to him, loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you see, that is what becoming a Christian is. You see, if, you, if a person becomes a Christian, they don't just receive Christ as Savior. Um, I can remember when I was young, people used to make that division. Say, oh, yeah, some people have received Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. And that comes later. No, that's not true. If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Master, as your slave owner, you haven't received Christ at all. You haven't, rece- you haven't received his saving work. Being a doulos of God, being a slave of God, is a voluntary loving act of thanksgiving of a saved person. In the uh, Israelite law, the, one, of the, one of the ways in which um, um, slaves, if, if you like, uh, had developments in their slave life, one, they could be freed. That, could, that happened in many cases. But another case was the case where slaves would refuse to be freed. They didn't want to leave their home that they had with a loving master and a loving family who they had spent years with. And if they said, no, I don't want to leave. I've been a slave and I want to stay here as a slave forever with you. Well, they had a a custom where uh, basically uh, they would have a a kind of an awl, which is sort of a a spike thing, and they they, they basically um, pierce their ear and bang it in, and it'd like be nailed to the doorpost for a few, no, not for too long, and they would take it out, and then they could, that, that, that hole in their ear um, would actually symbolize the fact that they were going to be the obedient slaves in that house forever. But of course, it was an obedience based on love. And that slave had found love in that family. That's why, the only reason why that slave wanted to remain in that, in, that, in, that, in that house because there was love for him. He knew it and, and he returned it too. Now that's what being a Christian is. If, if you want to become a Christian, if you have become a Christian, you've responded to this wonderful love of the Lord. Our response is to the infinite love of Christ. Paul uh, takes us far, far above the idea that Jesus was just simply a man. He was a wonderful man, but he, he actually, his, 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 uh, his origin is in eternity as the eternal Son of God, who with Father 
and the Spirit planned the salvation of those who come to him. And this sense that I want to be with him, I'm at home with Jesus, that's part of what being a Christian is. Paul says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Has there been a time in your life when you, when you felt the voice of Jesus speak to you personally? I don't mean uh, some voice in your head, but I mean as you're meditating upon the word of God, those words have rung deeply, reverberated through your being. and you, Lord Jesus, yes, I trust you. I want to follow you. I'm sorry for failing you, and I, but I really want to respond to your love. Paul says on, a, on a, another area when he was talking about Christians who were disobedient or involved in immorality and other things he says don't you know that your bodies is a temple of the Holy Spirit you are, you're not your own you don't own your own body you were bought, you're a slave you were bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and that's, that, this is this, this wonderful uh, relationship that we as Christians are called to Whatever, um, whatever uh, state we're in, and this applies, um, as I've said, to next week when we think about the master-slave relationship uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, at the time when Paul wrote the, the, uh, the, book to the book of Ephesians, it applied to the master and to the slave. Whether they were a master or a slave, or whether they were just a free person that was, didn't own slaves, whoever they were, if they were believers they were bond servants of Christ who had voluntarily pierced their ear, asked for their ear to be pierced, and they were going to go with him. Remember Ruth, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you are, I'll be with you. And that is what a, that's what a Christian is. Paul, Peter said, when, when, when Jesus said, there's lots of people who called themselves disciples who are leaving me, are you now going to go away? And Peter says, to whom? Whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we might add to Peter's words, you are the one who offers me love and forgiveness. You are the one who, who gives me encouragement. You give me inspiration. You give me strength in life. To whom shall I go? You are the one who died for me. You see, the, the bondservant of Christ is truly the one who is truly free, uh, the free man in the Lord. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, again, which you needn't look up, I'll just read a bit from it. It's a long passage actually about slavery and the options for someone who is a slave. He says, were you a bondservant when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, or as a slave, is a freed man of the Lord. <laughs> now, being a free man was, was uh, you know, was uh, 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 a significant thing in the Roman Empire. And Paul says, "Look, don't worry. If you're okay, they may have you as a slave, but they can't affect your status before God. You're considered scum and worthless. You're just part of people's property that may be abused or even killed. As far as the world concerned, you're nothing. You're a zero. But to God, you're a freed man." And you're Jesus Christ's servant that has wonderful, uh, wonderful, um, wonderful status in his sight. Now, of course, being a, 
a slave of the Lord does have responsibilities. Now, we haven't got time to go into all of the, all of the verses in the Gospels where Jesus refers to discipleship as being servants, being bondservants, being slaves of, the, of, our, of our master in heaven. Um, but I will just point out in Matthew 24, we have the parable um, of, um, of the sensible and wise servant compared to the wicked servant. Um, when the master's away, the wicked servant is just that self-indulgent, trying to get away with whatever he can get away with. But the wise servant faithfully discharges the duty of being a servant of God, of being a disciple, following the Lord. Uh, Matthew 25, uh, uh, of course, we have the servants, the slaves of God, who, and, uh, uh, who on judgment day are, are rewarded with that wonderful with that wonderful um, phrase that Henry referred to, um, good and faithful servants. You see, we as, we as the slaves of Christ have unlimited commitments to him, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. An unlimited commitment. But we have, it in, and we, we have an immeasurable debt to him. He's the one who, who gave all so that we might be freed from all of our sins and we have this unfathomable grace because he's so patient with us. You know, so often, I have been, we have been so often, the unfaithful servant, the wicked servant, but he forgives. We're debtors to him and he forgives our debts like in the parable. So we should forgive other people too. But we are debtors not to live according to the flesh, as it says in Romans chapter 6, six to 8. But we are... We are debtors to live according uh, to the Spirit. But there's something even more wonderful. Now, I've described the relationship that we as believers voluntarily enter into of being the bondservants of Christ. But Jesus says, sorry, that's not enough. What does he say in John chapter 15, verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, that that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. You're not just my slaves. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known, known to you. Now, our relationship of devotion and love and, strength, uh, and, and, and seeking to serve him with all of our strength, that remains. That is the Christian response to, to, uh, uh, to the Lord's love for us. Uh, we, re- we should remain with the mind of Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians. Have this mind amongst you that he had of being the slave, the slave not only of Christ, but even the slave of God's people. But how wonderful it is that we are, God doesn't treat us as slaves. He treats us as friends, and more than friends, but as his sons. So there's a, there's a paradox, a seeming contradiction. On the one hand, we are called to a life of, of being a bond slave of Christ, and yet at the same time, we have this wonderful, overflowing grace to us that we are called the friends of God 
as Abraham was, and as Jesus said his disciples were, and indeed that we are not just slaves, but we are sons and inheritors, which of course is one of the great, one of the great themes in the book of Ephesians. I'll finish by, by uh, repeating those verses from Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And may the Lord help us to think through uh, these different verses and uh, indeed rejoice in the privilege of being a bondservant of Christ.